welcome to an all-new episode of Close Talking Reflections. A week of shorter episodes, except for the ones that were not any shorter, about short poems to close out National Poetry Month. It's Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast, and I am your co-host, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And I am your other co-host, Jack Rossiter-Munley. And we have another wonderful poem for you today. Uh, This is the final poem of National Poetry Month Reflections of Close Talking. And it is a wonderful one. And if you've made it this far, thank you so much. Uh, We really appreciate it. If you have a moment, we would love if you would go to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, write us a review, give us a five-star rating. It means a lot. And um, the next time we have to face the algorithm in person, we can say, hey, show us a little more respect. And And like any good robot, it'll listen and care. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, this poem is called Vocabulary of Dearness. And it is by the poet Naomi Shihab Nye. And it's a wonderful poem and there's lots to talk about. So I will just get right into it. Vocabulary of Dearness. How a single word may shimmer and rise off the page. A wafer of syllabic light, a bulb of glowing meaning. Whatever the word, Try tempestuous or suffer. Any word you have held or traded so it lives a new life the size of two worlds. Say you carried it up a hill and it helped you move. Without this, the days would be thin sticks thrown down in a clutter of leaves. And where is the rake? This is a really cool poem. Yeah, it's so good. Oh, man. Sometimes I like reading her, and then I just realize that, like, she writes all the poems that I want to write myself, and then I realize that they've been written, and it's a good it's a good thing. She just talks about language itself in such a... It's, like, pretty complex, but she does it so clearly and... I don't know. It's just like, it's, it's, it's beautiful and profound, but it's not kind of like, now I am discussing linguistics and the power of language, um, which, yeah. <laughs> no, I totally agree. And that's part of what is so specifically wonderful about this poem is that it's essentially a discourse on linguistics, but it doesn't really feel like one. Yeah. And it, it, it particularly felt, you know, like, I don't know in our our week of poetry reflections and just thinking about the pandemic and like to me this poem was kind of like a it felt like an ars poetica but like of the of the of the podcast week or something like of kind of like what felt important to me about poetry and about words like during this time which is i don't know just you know how much they can do you know um and like you know this idea like 
any word you have held or traded. And then, you know, say you carried it up a hill and it helped you move. Without this, the days would be thin sticks thrown down in a clutter of leaves. And where is the rake? That hill image is, is great because it's like it starts out as like you're carrying the words. But the thing that you're carrying is the thing that, it, you know, the words are actually carrying you or, you know, they're helping you get up the hill. And, you know, in, in some ways, the hill is, is kind of a classic kind of image for, for dealing with some kind of struggle or adversity. But one of the powers of poetry and language is to kind of name certain things. And this last line, you know, without this, you know, without these words that kind of help you get up the hill, the days would be thin sticks thrown down in a clutter of leaves and where is the rake? You know, like the rake are the words. It's like we need the, the tools to, you know, rake our <laughs> lawn when we have, you know, these sticks in the way. And it's like when we don't have the rake, we, we don't have a means of even addressing the issue, I guess. Or even but, addressing the world. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of the level I take it at is just like language is how we make sense of the world. Um, and language can take so many different forms. It's essentially just communication because there's obviously, in addition to spoken language or the words, which are the consideration for most of the poem, but that kind of drops away at the end here where it becomes just this image. And I feel like in dropping away from the specific consideration of what is beautiful language in the form of words, it then gets to this idea that communication is how we relate to each other. It's how we describe the world to each other. It's how we make meaning out of the world. And humans, as is so often said, are like a meaning-making group. That's one of our big things, is that we look for connections and narratives, and we look for meaning in everything. And it, it's how we understand the world, and it's how we communicate that understanding to each other. And I really like that the end of the poem moves away from any explicit consideration of spoken language into this realm of you know just how do we understand existence basically (laughs) yeah totally totally no i think that's really right and you know there's this kind of whatever the word try tempestuous or suffer any word you have held or traded so it lives a, a new life the size of two worlds um which is such a like mysterious kind of line to me like lives a new life the size of two worlds but i think maybe gets to what you were saying about communication and and like addressing the world where when you kind of so the words are already there you know like suffer or tempestuous um which are great to 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 bring up and so then when you hold it and you're kind of like oh this new situation this word is what fits that situation like I in a very basic sense you know just like kid learning like learning to name emotions I feel sad um, or I feel angry those words obviously are very old and existed long before the kid sort of learned to say them but like then they kind of when they sort of learn to be like this is what I'm feeling. And now I can carry this word with me and kind of like address it, you know, and address the world in that way. Like the word gets a new life, but then it has a totally like new 
separate total meaning for that kid who's like this is my experience and like now i have a word that fits my world in this moment kind of thing yet it like doesn't you know when when the kid takes that word it's not like they're taking it from anybody else i think that's fascinating because i went in a very similar direction with it my the example i was thinking of was a little bit different in terms of where the two worlds what that could mean um because i was going off of held or traded so it lives a new life the size of two worlds and that felt to me like when two people are discussing anything it can be all the same words and they could create two divergent realities so not totally different from what you're describing in terms of a of a child experiencing language but just two people talking about what it means to suffer that's a word that encompasses two different worlds to two different people with two different lived experiences. And right. it feels to me like when you're trading words and you're exchanging language, that is both uh, something that's really can be interesting and exciting about it, or it can be the real pitfall of language, which is that it, it is not the raw material. It is not the clutter of sticks, which is in and of itself confusing because there's nothing to describe it and order it but it is the real deal. It is the thing that can be observed. It's not talking about a pile of sticks. It's not talking about how to bring them together. You know, um, like if you have five ideas and you're trying to contextualize them in a way that communicates it to another person, that can be rough. That can lead to all <laughs> kinds of problems. Uh, and it can lead to the creation of two worlds even when it is effectively done. So that, that was the direction I went with it, uh, which as I said, it's, it's very similar to what you were describing. No, no, but that's, that's a really good distinction um, because, and that the trading too, and like the exchange of language is important because I mean, it, and you know, to make it about poems, sometimes it's like the poet has whatever, is thinking about whatever they're thinking about when they're writing a poem and it has a kind of meaning for them. And then the poem is sort of in the world and like, you know, we, on this podcast, we had two different readings of the, that part of the poem. And like, on the one hand, of course, that can create sort of, in certain situations, difficult gaps in understanding. But on the other side, language's ability to be different worlds for different people and like not kind of, like my understanding of it unless I am, unless, you know, you're basically, you know, yelling at me and forcing me to be like, I renounce my understanding of this poem. <laughs> you know, if, if you have become like a, some sort of, certainly, and that is like, you know, uh, a tool of oppressive governments is to uh, force people to abandon their understandings of their identity or what you know whatever or to manipulate language so as to destroy a shared reality right right but like in i would say without a kind of oppressive power dynamic the fact that language can be separate but not exclusive to different people is like part of its great strength and I also think that is one of poetry's particular strengths where, especially because it's, it is like something that, you know, almost to a fault cliche, sometimes it's like, it's whatever you make of it kind of thing, um, which can be annoying sometimes to hear, especially when you're like, well, I'd really just, 
love to know what you think of it. <laughs> anyway, poetry seems particularly democratic in that sense, in that its its meanings are available to people in in a way that gives a lot of power to the reader um, to make make their own you know worlds from from the language, I suppose. It's just such a beautiful little there's so many great like a single word may shimmer and rise off the page, a wafer of syllabic light, a bulb of glowing meaning. I love a wafer of syllabic light so much. It's so good. And just such a perfect, like a little wafer as a little piece of a word that's like glowing. And I also love that it starts off like the word is flat on the page and then it's this two dimensional syllabic wafer of light. And then it yeah. becomes the three-dimensional bulb of glowing meaning. Like the word just keeps growing and expanding and becoming more and more. I absolutely love that. Yeah. And sometimes it, it does kind of like describe, like we've often talked about poems given, given the feels. Um, like sometimes like I feel, I don't know, like in the, um, the Marie Howe poem, like what the living do, the, that last line you know i am living i remember you it kind of like whenever i read it or even just thinking about it right now it like that moment like i don't know just thinking about like how how a single word may shimmer and rise off the page like it kind of feels that way to me that line where it just kind of like it leaves the poem a little bit and like kind of is there glowing and i can sort of I don't know. And then when I think about it, it's like the bulb is still there next to me kind of thing. I also just like the words that are chosen when she's contemplating words yeah. that might glow with meaning because they are both words that are rich with meaning, but they also just sound really nice. And I almost feel like she's implicitly in that point asking me like, what are some of your favorite words that don't just <laughs> sit on the page when you come across them, but you notice and think, ah, that's a good one. Tempestuous <laughs> supper, like lots of really flowing sounds and it just kind of rolls together there. I like that. Yeah, totally. Tempestuous is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's one that I wish I could just like dish out more often in regular speech, but I don't know. Even if people are being tempestuous, I don't really want to be like, very tempestuous of you. One of those words you just don't feel good tossing out, much as you <laughs> might enjoy it. Are there? Do you have any words that you find yourself instinctively about to use with some regularity that you stop yourself from using because you feel like a total ding dong when you say them? <laughs> I'm sure there's a million of them, and I'm sure half a million I end up saying. Um, <laughs> well, you've got a great vocabulary then. Half a million words he chooses not to use. Look at Big Brain over here. <laughs> sorry i mean probably don't unleash your linguistic prowess on us plebes all at once there okay by a million i mean 40 and by half a million i mean 20 um i know that's a good doesn't know what numbers are but he knows all the words (laughs) mine are temerity and trepidation for whatever reason those are two words that i think in my head sometimes and I try and stop myself from saying because they are both like 
absolutely useless. There are such <laughs> better ways to say both of those things when you're just like talking. Uh, but my head wants me to say trepidation with a fair amount of regularity. And I know that that's just not useful. <laughs> that's another fun one to say though trepidation um, probably why my brain wants me to say it all the time <laughs> one word that i used to say sometimes which i have since stopped because i was ridiculed is panoply one of my friends was just like you know you could say a lot <laughs> which is true you know so there you go um there. But I like I like it. Pan, I don't know. It sounds nice. A panoply. It is. It's a very pleasing sounding word, which is probably why your brain wants you to say it. Yeah, yeah. You could just say a lot. <laughs> <laughs> they were trepidatious. You could just say they were worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> but like some people are gregarious, and some people are garrulous. And they're different, you know? It's like it's like some people are chatty and friendly and some people talk a lot. Um, voluble is a word that I would like to say a lot more than I do. Prolix is something that comes up, but I don't ever really want to say it because it's not as fun to say as voluble. These are all just GRE words, though, pretty much. <laughs> I like uh, elimocenary. That's one of my favorite words. Whoa. Yeah, thank you. What that was does that email. word mean? Uh, it means basically just charitable. Oh. It's an elimocenary endeavor if you're doing like, charitable work. That's nice. My first email address. No, that's not true. My first email I, address was a different word that I liked with my initial in front of it. I was taken, when I had the OED, I was taken with the word Zixt, Z-Y-X-S-T, which was an archaic form of the word sixth. And <laughs> I thought it was cool. And so I was jzixt at AOL.com, an email address that probably must still exist, but that I have no access to. Wow. I love that. One of my favorite words of all time, which I am constantly trying to put into poems and then cutting them because... I realized I just like the word and it, which is palimpsest. Um, partly the meaning of it. So it's like in the olden days when it was manuscripts and there was not the print, like Gutenberg hadn't come along yet. Paper was very expensive. And so you would, if you needed to do something, if you needed to write something new, you would scrape off the ink and the, the words and then you would write over it but the effect was a palimpsest where you then had these manuscript pages that had layers and layers of text and now it's kind of more figuratively anything that's kind of layered in that way but i love the meaning of it and i also love saying palimpsest because it's cool but yeah, it doesn't come up as much as one would like. Along those lines, I really like the term incunabula, Ooh. which are really early uh, books from the early stages of printing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, one of the founders of the law firm, the public finance law firm I worked at, was a collector of incunabula. <laughs> 
I love that. One word I like a lot is limpid, which is basically, it's another one where it's like, you should just say lucid or clear. Really, you should just say clear. But I like limpid because it sounds, I feel like the M's and the PD kind of sounds go well together, like somnambulist. I love that word. Or rumpus. Rumpus is a good one. Rumpus is particularly good because it sounds like what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a conceptual onomatopoeia kind of vibe. Absolutely. Those are the best. <laughs> totally. Um, but yeah, somnambulist is also one of my favorite words. Well, that was a lovely stroll through the English language. Indeed it was. I don't know. This I don't have anything else interesting to say about the poem, but it it fills me up with some hope and yeah i'm i'm thankful for that i agree and at least for me part of the reason it does that is because it feels like it is almost created with the idea of a springboard to the kind of conversation we just had in mind of like it's almost asking you to start talking to people about what their favorite words are and why they like them you know or yeah. like what what's cool about language to you do you have favorite words? Like, I feel like the poem is pushing me to ask those questions when I read it. Yeah. And I really yeah. like that about it. Yeah. Yeah. What vocabulary is, is dear to you? Um, no, I think that's really right. Should we read it again? Let's do it. A vocabulary of dearness by Naomi Shihab Nye. How a single word may shimmer and rise off the page a wafer of syllabic light, a bulb of glowing meaning, whatever the word, try tempestuous or suffer. Any word you have held or traded so it lives a new life the size of two worlds. Say you carried it up a hill and it helped you move. Without this, the days would be thin sticks thrown down in a clutter of leaves. And where is the rake? Thank you so much for listening. You can keep up with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking or on Twitter at close talking. You can follow me and get in touch with me at Connor M. Stratton or Jack on Twitter at Jack Rossiter Munn. You can also send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if there's another reading you have of this poem we discussed, or any other poem we've discussed, or if there's a piece or work or poem that you'd like us to discuss in a future episode.